So recently I discovered that the year of 1999 has some of the best movies that have ever been made all in the same year. And I thought yeah. I would have a conversation with Berto and Colin and we would name our top five movies from 1999. And we'd also just get a chance to talk about all the great movies that happened in that mm-hmm. year. What do you say? Let's do it. My name is Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I squeeze sponges. My name is Colin Miller, and I'm the Marsha Effing Brady of the Upper East Side. <laughs> <laughs> so this is arguably best year in, in movies and TV ever, and you will see it by our list. But just to review even just television that... TV shows that started in 1999. We have The Sopranos. Sopranos, baby! Which is quite possibly, you know, one of the best movies or TV shows ever made. And the TV show that introduced prestige television to society. We have The Family Guy, which is, of course, a classic. We have The West Wing, which was a huge favorite. Did you all That's ever watch? Wow. Did you ever watch West Wing? I never watched it myself. I watched a bit, but not much. Even even though I really enjoyed what I watched, but <laughs> I was gifted season one for a, uh, one of my more political friends was like, "You're gonna love this," and I just haven't put the disc in. I'm sure I will. <laughs> love it. Just haven't. You it must re- you must really trust that friend's opinion about your. About your thing. <laughs> Um, Freaks and Geeks. Have y'all watched Freaks and Geeks? Of course. That's with, yeah, that's the, uh, what's his name from, uh, Judd Apatow. Sarah Marshall. It's Judd Apatow, uh, created it with, um, all those guys. But anyway, yeah. Freaks and Geeks, I watched it when it was on television from 99 to 02 or something. And I, I just loved that, that TV Linda show. Linda Cardellini is amazing. Yeah. Uh, Futurama started in 1999. Oh, wow. SpongeBob SquarePants, which we were talking (laughs) about off air, and Queer as Folk. So these are some of the best TV shows of that time, right? I mean, just such great TV shows started in 1999. All right. Top five list, Birdo, go. Okay. So, I mean, like, seriously, 1999 is ridiculous. So this was the hardest thing ever. I'll give you... Here's my honorable mention list, and this will give you an idea of how ridiculous this is. And you're all going to be offended by my honorable mention list because you'll be offended. The Talented Mr. Ripley is in my honorable mention. Magnolia is in my honorable mention. Princess Frickin' Mana Frickin' Noki is in my honorable mention. Well, okay, so technically that was a 97 movie that was Well, but when it got released, it's when I, mean, I it's, saw it yeah. because they released it in the oh, Okay. Right. Being John Malkovich is in my freaking um, honorable mention and this one is close to my heart, 10 things I hate about you, which is a, a, a nice little romantic comedy. All right. But here's my top 5 list. And I I I wanted to go Honestly, with the things that brought me so much enjoyment that year, that really meant a lot to me that year, mm. rather than try to get pretensions and pretentious and be like, well, I could make the list about what I feel now are better movies, but no. Number five, South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. <laughs> 
This is a movie that should have failed on every front. I mean, South Park was a very enjoyable cartoon on the show, but it was this crappy animation. There's no way these like upstarts could pull off a, a feature-length movie and have it be anything other than just like a silly, long version of one of their episodes. Nope. An amazing musical. Super touching. Great songs. Awesome. So, uh, number four. The Sixth Sense. Man, this movie just slapped me around and called me Susan. Here's a movie that I was ready to give 10 stars out of 10 before the twist ending. Because it was so enjoyable. It's just like the dynamics between uh, Bruce Willis and the kid and like everything that was going on. I was ready. I was like, man, this was such a great movie. And then the twist happens. And it was my introduction to M. Night, which was a bittersweet story. But, you know, that movie was certainly up there. Yeah. Number three, Office Space. Yeah. How can you put a silly comedy? Are you kidding me? This comedy launched, launched a thousand ships. So many quotable moments. So many funny. <laughs> oh, my God. So funny. And it's by Mike uh, Judge, right? Like the, the um, Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill. And How many times do you quote Office Space on a weekly basis? If I'm not quoting American Psycho, I'm quoting Office Space. <laughs> and I mean, and it's got like these very human touching moments. And it's, yeah. it's got a great performance from uh, Rachel from Friends. It's yeah, I, so I, good. The, my love of that movie is so intertwined with what I did that day. I just decided it was like um, a dreary Seattle afternoon or, you know, late morning. And I just thought, you know what? I don't want to go to work today. I just want to, I want to play hooky. I want to, I, mm. I felt like I wanted to be self-indulgent on some little call in sick. What a perfect thing to go see then. <laughs> and so, and, and I went to Tacoma of all places. What? Like, why would I drive all the way to Tacoma? But I went to Tacoma just to kind of, I don't know, just do something different and went to a movie theater Sorry. just to see what was playing. And office space was playing and didn't, hadn't, didn't know anything about the movie, watched it totally loved it and thought i thought i had sort of discovered because i don't remember talk about this movie at the time i remember this movie kind of being a a a very distantly discussed movie in the slow burn for sure yeah it was years later when it it became realized as a cult classic you know what i mean yeah Uh, all right your number two brutal okay my number two i can't tell you about number two because it's in the rules Oh. <laughs> Fight Club. That's my number Fight two. Club. That's my number two as well. Are you kidding me? That's your number two. Okay. That's my number two. So Fight Club is a movie that just blew me away in every way. I, I remember I went to see it and I didn't really know the author yet. Um, I, I ended up getting a lot of his books afterwards because I was so into it. But I, uh, Chuck Palahniuk, and I just walked in with no expectations because I hadn't really seen previews or anything. Yeah. So I didn't know what I was getting into. Yeah. And from the very start, I was so gripped. The whole story and the way he's talking about like himself in the third person and he and like and he in, in all the little <laughs> IKEA bless you and all the little IKEA moments and uh the conversation, the little back and forth between them and how he challenges him and Brad Pitt of course looking larger than life and then freaking uh, the the hot mess of uh, what's her name from 
um, every movie and The Crown. Yeah. Um, what is her name? I don't know. Uh, the British actress. She's Helena so Helena awesome. Bonham Carter. Helena Bonham Carter. Thank you. She and works with she Brooke just, at the news station. She, right. And then, and then, of course, here's another movie with an amazing twist, which is another one, one of those where when you watch it, again, you're like, wait a minute. They telegraphed this thing the whole way through. How on earth did I not understand what was happening? It, it, it's just so good. And, of course, I actually like the movie, rare occasion, like it better than the book because the movie ending pulls no punches. <laughs> All right, your number one drum roll, please. Numero uno da, 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 is da, da, da. the Matrix. Oh, okay, good. No one can be told what the Matrix is. Look, I, I realized in in a, in a year like 1999 with cinematic masterpieces. I mean, like I didn't even put eyes wide shut anywhere. Like, what am I doing here? But you must understand, the Matrix changed movies, and at that age, at that time. Seeing The Matrix was a life-changing experience. Like the, the first time I watched it, I was plastered. So I actually only watched about 40% of the movie awake and conscious. <laughs> and yet I walked out of that movie understanding that I had seen the best thing to happen to movies since the beginning of time. What theater then I did went you and see it? Again. What theater I have no idea. It was some theater in Redmond. We, oh, okay. we were celebrating a, a, a thing because we had just finished squeezing a whole bunch of sponges that day and we went out to celebrate as a team. And I and unfortunately someone had dumped beer on me and I had drank a lot of beer and so I smelled literally like a brewery. I don't understand what you happened. You could have used the, the sponges to sponge that up. <laughs> you would think so. We had an embarrassment of riches of sponges. But the second time I saw it, I finally understood everything. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Blew me away. I watched it probably four times or five times in the theater. And I couldn't get enough. And then, and then I was really hopeful for the sequels. I won't talk about the sequels. So for me, The Matrix was my best experience that year. And I realized that I am... I'm letting down a lot of lovely, lovely, awesome movies, but that's my list. All right. Colin, what's your list? If you thought that was going to disappoint some people, like, <laughs> girl, you ain't even remotely ready for my list. So I have a few honorable mentions that I just want to rattle through with no explanation here. So mind you, I was like a boy, like a straight up baby boy in 1999. <laughs> so some of this is connected to that. So in no particular order, honorable mentions, we've got Cruel Intentions, which is yeah, where I good. derived my opening in case you haven't seen it. Deep Blue Sea, smartest film. I mean, that's you want to talk psychology, like, ugh. that's a good one. <laughs> American Beauty, which yep. I know has changed for people. Sleepy Hollow, yeah, just little creep fest. It's not necessarily yeah. scary, but but do you see what I'm saying? Like these are all your honorable mentions. After you said that people are now going to be, this is the year. Like all these movies are amazing. The Mummy, a um, it's actually um, audition. So it's not an American film, but one of the scariest movies yeah. I've ever seen. Ooh. So <laughs> make sure you check out Audition. It's real, real effed up. Only if Tarzan. you're not traumatized, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tarzan, animated movie. The Thomas Crown Affair. Yep. Mostly because I just love the chemistry of the main actors. Notting Hill, which is a dorky romantic comedy, but I watched it a lot with my mom. Hugh Still Grant, fun. Hugh Grant. 
Yeah, and um, girl interrupted. So those are my honorables. Uh, <laughs> so my number five is Galaxy Quest. Ah, that's my number three. Yay! So Galaxy Quest for me is very special because some movies will like take the angle of these heroes. These are only actors. And the the fantasy or sci-fi element is derived only from their TV show or from make-believe. But this is one of those rare instances where it's that, but also then some. There are real aliens that mistake these fake actors, or, or actors who are like fake space heroes, uh, for actual space heroes. So they hire them for this very important job. And so it's one of the most brilliant comedies of, of errors, because, you know, you <laughs> you slowly see these people who, like, I guess it's one of those instances, It's, it's I'm getting excited while I'm even thinking about the movie, because <laughs> it's just such a joyous experience, it's hard to even verbalize, but, you know, the slow realization in comedy is such a precious thing, when one, certain characters are in the know, quote-unquote, and then certain characters are not, but this movie does it even, and that, and that dramatic irony and blah, 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 a lot of great stuff derives from that, but, um, or where, or the audience is aware, but this time it really is dramatic irony because I'm like becoming a kid as I'm talking about this because like we know that the aliens are wrong about these people and <laughs> that the people are wrong about the aliens because for a long time, especially the Tim Allen character, he just thinks that they're super, these are, they're super he's, fans. He's just on another convention yeah, and <laughs> it's so brilliantly written, but it doesn't stop there. Like the movie, it could be, be enough to be like, oh, that's a goofy premise. Like, let's laugh about, let's laugh 90 minutes, you know, uh, and then be done with it. But actually, every character has an arc. Every character becomes that real hero that they were only, like, portraying in the TV show. But, and it's not done in this goofy way. Like, the stakes are high and you care about this happening. Yeah. They never mm-hmm. sacrifice the comedy for the sake of those journeys. And so, I just yeah. love this movie. I'm, like, turning red. Yeah, it's so I fun. completely agree. Alan Rickman, his character is so <laughs> richly written, and I cry. He's the Spock guy, right? Yeah. yeah by Grabthaw's yeah. hammer. By, yeah, I cry when he and that other alien bond yeah like it's so it's just such you know because he's this cynical i'm a trained british actor and i'm in this crappy job and how did i end up here <laughs> and he just resents the whole thing you know yeah by grandma's hammer whatever like he doesn't but then <laughs> at the very end like he sees the, the so that's the other part of this movie that is so brilliant is for me anyway and connects with me as as a trekkie i Every, a lot of the themes of the movie revolves around fans. So the aliens are fans of the show. They don't realize it's a show. They think it's a documentary. Yeah. But but they're fans. And so when the aliens are fawning over Alan Rickman's character and the other characters, but they have the technology. I don't know. It's just this... It just really gets me. And then it's the first movie I saw Sam Rockwell in, actually. Yes. Oh, really? And... He is in my top three, you know, male actors of all time. Yeah. I just, I just love everything that he does. 
he's you know red shirt guy i don't even have a name you know and <laughs> it's just i can't remember my name uh, I mean, it's yeah it's just a brilliant and it's a it's a it's not only really funny it's not only really interesting but it's just a good entertaining movie um for for me the the the, the life that i had with this movie was i for a long time for a long period in my life i couldn't afford cable tv even though it was probably in 1999, it was probably like $35. But I didn't have that kind of money back then. I couldn't, I couldn't afford cable TV. But I did have a 13-inch color television that was deeper than it was wide. You know those old <laughs> color televisions that <laughs> CRTs, they were just, it was just heavy, but tiny little screen. And I had my dad's old VCR from the 80s that he didn't need anymore. So I had this crappy TV that was probably my dad's, my parents as well, had this really crappy VCR. And I, I, I must have had two VCRs because I actually, don't tell the FBI, but I actually copied a VHS tape of <laughs> Galaxy Quest onto a blank tape. And I probably had like three, three movies. I, I, had, I had The Abyss uh copied Ooh. and i had mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and i had galaxy quest and maybe like one other and since i didn't have television i would just if i just wanted to kind of chill and watch a movie i would pop in one of these tapes and galaxy quest i probably watched 55 times that just in that year alone because wow. it was just it's such a good movie and it's so funny and it's so interesting and and yeah, I'm glad it is. It's it's in your top, and you and it makes you feel proud to be a fan, right? Because the the knowledge, whatever knowledge they do, even though of course some of the actors who um, who are reluctantly thrust into very real space danger, you know, maybe they they're not super proud of the stuff that they did on the show, but but the knowledge that they do have of their characters and of the world and of the universe actually does come into the script and helps them solve the problem. So like in that same way that stranger things accomplish that, where yeah. if you, if you love D and D, you know, you're going to yeah. bear better against the upside down. Yeah. Kind and of then thing. the nerds on earth help them to land played by what's this, uh, what's yes. the guy's name? Yes. The nerds save the day. Yeah. What's that guy's name? Oh, anyway, he's, he's a, I like that actor, but anyway, all right. What's your number one, Colin? Or what number are you on? Uh, I'm on number four. I okay, believe. number four. Okay. But we've talked about it already. It's The Matrix. Okay. So I'll scoot on up to my number three, which was the movie I was watching in 1999. This was my VHS. The world is not enough. It's oh, yeah. The, it's Fun. the third. <laughs> yeah, it's the third in the series of Pierce Brosnan James Bond movies. I already yeah. mentioned, you know, Thomas Crown Affair. Pierce Brosnan, uh, he's when he he's cast well, he has a lot of charisma. And I think that even though possibly Daniel Craig is a more seasoned performer and Sean Connery is a little more believable or, or maybe just embodied the character a little more, or like Roger Moore, of course, had the jokes and was super funny and charming. I feel like Pierce Brosnan's kind of like a, he doesn't eclipse any of the other three, but he has a nice blend of all three where he's 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 got a lot of very natural presence for Bond. And so I think it just comes down to a very simple thing. The Bond that you started watching is your Bond. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that's kind of the easiest way to put it. Yeah. And 
I think that as a as a writer now, because um, I don't know if if, if I've mentioned that I, I like to write screenplays and short stories on the podcast prior, but I do. Um, I think this was one of the first moments in film, and this is kind of a spoiler, so I, I apologize, but this is the first time that I really came upon a character like Electra King. She's the mm. first Bond girl, quote-unquote. That's what they're... Um, lovingly called um there because bond as we know has many babes throughout the series throughout his entire pantheon of movies and um she's a very complex character you know she she portrays at first the victim you know she's the person he's trying to protect he doesn't want her to die uh we think that renard um the the main actor who also i think is in 28 weeks later um robert carlisle very very good actor um he he, he turns out not to be the, the villain. Well, he is the villain, but not the, the main baddie. It's actually her, you know, pulling the strings behind everything. And I hadn't discovered that kind of turn ever. I, I, I think at that point, characters that I saw were either good or bad, and their actions were... I could, I could associate with their actions and be like, okay, I know who that is. This is bad guy. This is good guy. Wah, wah, wah. And so the fact that she kind of threw me for a loop, first of all, it made me fall in love with her. Like, I still have a huge crush on Sophie Marceau. So whatever that means, Kirk, you can diagnose me if you want. But um, <laughs> this, like, evil lady who, you know, at one point puts Pierce Brosnan in a torture chair just totally captivated me. And I, and I looking back, I think that it's... It's certainly a little harder to defend, especially after the the Craig films have come out, because there is a lot of dated action and there's less character development for Bond. But I really like the attention to M. You know, we get a lot of time with him and his boss. And I love Judy Dench. I love the locations, great locations. And I just had a really great time with it. And I, and I still do. I still love this movie. And I think the only, the really the worst part of it is unfortunately Denise Richards's performance as uh, the other Bond girl. So. Isn't it like Christmas something? Isn't Christmas that? Jones, which Christmas is Jones. and she's a <laughs> she's like a scientist. She's a scientist, and <laughs> she her name is oh, used right. to set up one of the worst jokes uh, in movie history, which is which. No pun intended. Comes at the very end of the movie. It's the last thing that is said. And it's like, oh, you literally named the character this so you could say this? Like, what is wrong with you? So, yeah, it's like a weird movie. I think it's, like, very tonally imbalanced because you've got, like, the Stockholm Syndrome and then manipulation of Electric King. And then you have one of the, like, worst written Bond girls in the history of Bond women. But, you know. You, I, I pick and choose, I guess. I I sort of like it. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, I'm a big Bond film it's fan, fine. too. That one was difficult because they, they really upped the... Uh, it, it's, like, it, it's the um, Moonraker of his movies to me. <laughs> you know, like, I think GoldenEye was a little more... See, the Moonraker of his movies to me is Die Another Day, but... Oh, maybe okay. Was Die the other day? Is that the last one? Die another day. Yeah, the that's last the fourth one. That's with Halle Berry. Oh, okay, I'll grant you that. That one has the ice castle and everything. Oh yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. fair enough. 
Okay, so this one's maybe not quite that far. All right. You win this round. <laughs> All right, what else is on your list, Colin? Number two is Stir of Echoes. It's actually a, a film that I watched for the first time just a few weeks ago, but I fell in love with it. It's very similar to um, the, the Sixth Sense. It's a, another ghost movie. It stars Kevin Bacon, but I really enjoyed how how they were able to not go to any like ghost trope so the kind of in, in terms of ghost behavior because a lot of times we see things and especially recent ghost stories where the ghost will do some kind of like scream or jump out at you or a very haunted house uh stuff and while that certainly you know has its place I, I do feel like the the more entertaining, more artistic choice for me is to do a kind of like um, slow, encroaching feeling of the ghost. And then if you see the ghost, it's only like very quick and they're doing like something that has like a a logical explanation. Like, for example, in this movie, you see the ghost, you know, investigate a light and she kind of turns it and um you you slowly realize that you know she's not because in certain ghost stories i get agitated where i'm like why is the ghost doing this why is a ghost waiting behind a corner why are they coming out at night why are they like doing this that or the other but what's every the ghost time, motivation that's what you're asking what's the ghost motivation like why i need a reason for their scares and so this movie very much you know portrays all of that very well because she's leaving breadcrumbs for our main character, but not in a laborious way. And um, I like that they don't overly, you know, they don't overly fight for the viewer to believe Kevin Bacon. You know, they don't overly, um, you know, prioritize one character's perspective over the other. He's, um, it's it's a great example of um, the the spouse character having just as much stake and agency as the, the protagonist, you know, and she represents Wait, what, the sorry, kind of sorry, Colin, Colin, sorry. What was this name? Shimmer? Stir of Echoes. Oh, Stir of Echoes. Yeah. I think I actually saw that and I totally forgot about it, but you just said Kevin Bacon and I'm like, wait a minute. I yeah. I saw that movie back in 1999 and I think I liked it. So... So yeah, the, the atmospheric stuff, I really like. It's good stuff. All right, your number one. My number one is Eyes Wide Shut, oh, which yeah. you, you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, I really could just, I think, talk about this movie for hours, but I will, I will try to just pick like five things. Um, so first and foremost, I think the, the cinematography is out of this world because every light bulb every you know color of a of a wall or the way that a, the carpet f would feel if you were able to touch it all of that seems to be really um meticulously chosen and it's not just because you know we know that kubrick is famous for being very meticulous about his props and his sets and his costume design and his camera angles but the this the way that you are taken into this Alice in Wonderland dream world 
is immaculate. You know, you start at this party where it's shimmering lights. It's like you're at the top of the Christmas tree. And then as you, you're kind of going down towards the root of the story, you know, it takes place around Christmas time. I like to think of this movie as like you're going down the Christmas tree and every set, every character is like a different bulb. And so you'll have like these, these washes of blue that are associated with certain characters or certain emotional stakes. And, um, and you'll have these deep, deep reds, um, that you won't ever forget. You'll dream of them. And, um, I think that the odyssey of exploration that Tom Cruise's character goes on is one of my favorites in film. It's, it's a very meandering journey. And you keep thinking that the plot is going to go towards movie plot like oh this is when it's going to start the like murder mystery this is when it's going to start the affair story you have a couple of these but it, the the movie always side does the sideways turn and keeps you instead mystified and i like that and i know that this movie is a very frustrating watch for people because of that but um i think that's kind of how life feels sometimes is that you're wandering you're confused, you make connections along the way, and you end up making a choice about what it was about instead of being told this is what it's about. And then I guess I'll just wrap up with, um, I, I just I think that the performances are fantastic. I love Nicole Kidman in this movie. One of my favorite monologues ever is when she's stoned as hell and basically takes Tom Cruise's toxic, masculine, privileged idea about women's sexuality and turns it on its head. And the the absolute final thing I will say is that that turning on its head, I think, happens for every character because they'll start scenes where you think that they know how they relate to each other, and then slowly the facade will come down and there's something deeper within. And... It's not necessarily always true faces revealed, but there is a motif of masks. One of the greatest orgy scenes in movie history is done <laughs> all in masks. So, um, and I and I am a, a sucker for a movie that um, fetishizes and ex, you know internalizes what it means to go through life behind a mask. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Let's take a break, and we get back. Let's continue. 1999 movies, what do you say? Let's do it. So, Berto, if Morpheus were to present the red pill and the blue pill to the audience, one being a patron and the other not, what would he sound like? Look at my neck. What do you see? You see a scar. But is it a scar or is it a doorway to another world? You don't see what you see. You see what you want to believe. This is why you fail. But what if I told you that there is a simple, simple solution to all of your problems and to all of the problems of everyone that you've ever known? It's called psychology in Seattle. No one can be told how to become a patron of this podcast but if you figure it out your power will surpass even that of the construct opps other we got old patron 
praise here. We're going this episode back to February 2016, so five years ago. These individuals, these five people, became patrons in February of 2016 and have stayed patrons this entire time. We got Patrick. We have Woo. David from New South Wales, Australia. Whoa. We have we have Eileen from Kentfield, California. Come on, Eileen. And we have Crystal from Kenosha, Wisconsin. And we got Christy Forrester, our friend. Oh yeah, Christy, who's been on the podcast, a dear friend of mine. And she has been a patron of the podcast since oh February of 2016. So thank you, Patrick, OPP. David, Eileen, Crystal, and Christy. You are OPPs. Also, OPP. another announcement is that I talked about this in previous episodes where I talked about how my cat had to be euthanized because she was old and her organs were failing. And thank you, everyone, for your well wishes. And we also made an announcement in the, in the past that those who bought merch... With the My Cat Wants to Chime In merch from uh, the link below, we would give all the proceeds to Animals Lebanon, which is an organization that saves animals from uh, the streets of Lebanon, I think specifically Beirut, and connects them with a Loving Homes, which is where I got Michelle from. Michelle was on the streets of Beirut, Lebanon, Animals Lebanon rescued her, flew her to the United States and connected her through to the pet finder system and Michelle ended up with me. Wow. And so we sold enough merch so that we can and have donated $600 to Animals Lebanon. So thank you everyone out there for buying the Cat Chime merch, you know my my cat wants to chime in merch and it's one of the few things I think that my wife has designed for the merch where you could just wear that and you wouldn't even necessarily have to explain that it's an inside joke. You know, <laughs> you could just be like, yeah, it's just, I have a cat that likes to chime in sometimes. It works on multiple levels. Yeah. So thank you everyone. Uh, we made that donation today to animals Lebanon. And if you want to just donate yourself directly to AnimalsLebanon.org, you can do so if you want to honor Michelle's life with us. Um, okay, so going to my top five, my number five is a movie called American Movie. It's a documentary. Have y'all seen this movie? It's a, it was, it's sort of like a documentary. So there's a guy named Mark Borshard, and he's in like the Midwest somewhere, and he's making a, he's trying to make this horror movie. Like he's seriously trying to make a amateur movie. And these documentarians f film him trying to film this movie. And it's like the real life Beavis and Butthead. And you have to watch this movie. It's, it's like it, it, if there were documentarians ground level when uh, <laughs> was so was making the room. It's sort of like that. Oh, my God, dude. I, I totally forgot about this movie until right? now. Right? American movie. This is movie. awesome. Yes. Yeah. It... it this movie, I you know, I feel like if it was oh made God. during the internet era, no, everyone would be talking about this movie. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, since it was, it came out during like the blockbuster VHS years, and before the internet, like people didn't really <laughs> talk about this movie. It was really 
Their movie was Coven. <laughs> yeah, the movie he was making. He, I highly recommend this movie. It's so good. It's called American Movie. It's great. Yeah, my number four is Mulholland Drive, David Lynch. Oh, my God. Was that 99? Yeah. See, I didn't even remember that. Oh, my gosh. That's my favorite of his movies. Yeah, this is peak of his career. We've talked mm. about... I've I've named Mulholland Drive in other lists as oh one of my gosh. top movies. I, I can't explain the movie, but I love David Lynch, and this is his best thing he's ever made. Um... Number three is Galaxy Quest. Talked about that already. Uh, and then number two is Fight Club. Um, yeah. You know, I, I can't say that if I watched it for the first time today, I would love it. But yeah, when, when I saw it at the age of 28, it was right up my alley. Uh, the, the concerns of Edward Norton's character were my concerns. He was calling out the concerns <laughs> that I was having. When he's sitting on the toilet and he's like... Uh, browsing an Ikea catalog, and he's thinking about, like, okay, well, if if I can afford this kind of cute mid-century coffee table with this rug, and he's constructing, and I remember at that, you know, when you're in your later 20s, you start thinking, I think I might have enough money to go to a cheap furniture store instead of the Salvation Army, and maybe actually buy something that... And feel like a real person. Yeah, feel like a real human with like real furniture, and and just the 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 falseness of the whole thing, and the materialism, and the corporateness of the whole thing, and how uh, the the lies that society was telling you as a young consumer, and how being free was something that you hadn't felt in a long time. You know, as a as a twenty something, uh, I think for a lot of people, regardless of gender, you feel like you're you're trying to succeed, and and to succeed you have to please, and to please you have to not be you, and you have to act like someone that you're not, you know, and you have to put yourself in the back burner. And this this movie, the story, exemplifies this so well through the story concept of Fight Club. It the I could see how people watching this movie today might be like, eh, not really for me. But the vibe I got when I saw this, when I was in my 20s, was I want experience. You know, I, I had a similar feeling when I watched the movie I Heart Huckabees, where um, Marky mm, Mark's, yeah. you know, Mark Wahlberg's character, he's this fireman, and he, he just wants an experience. You know, he he mm-hmm. wants to live in the moment, and the philosophy that Dustin Hoffman and... Uh, the others were giving him. He's just like he's trying to search for answers, and I remember feeling a lot like that. I felt like I was I was striving for a life that didn't wasn't meaningful, you know. And I wanted something. And I remember this, you know, watching Edward Norton's character like discover to be in the moment truly is to fight someone, and maybe you get your ass beat, but it, you're at least in the moment, and you're not concerned about coffee tables or making sure your reports look good at work or pleasing society. You're just right there, you know, knuckle to face with another human being in contact with them viscerally. And you care about them, you know, in the beginning of the movie, anyway, in the fight clubs, they're, they're not trying to annihilate each other. They're just, (laughs) they're just punching each other and, and someone just gives up, you know, and, and, you know, the twist and the, you know, the whole Brad Pittedness of the whole movie. 
Yeah, very effect, very affected. And then the ending with the Pixie song. I mean, just oh. I wanted I wanted to walk out of that movie and just destroy corporate culture. <laughs> I just I I didn't I didn't know what I was gonna do to get there, but I, I remember feeling that way and and uh, yeah, I just really love that movie. That that song. I, I mean. Oh, it was so perfect because the way as the buildings are falling. Oh, man. Yeah. And he hands like, you met me at a very strange time in my life. Yeah. And then it... Ah. Yeah. Um, And my number one is the talented Mr. Ripley. Ah, that was in my honorable mentions. I had a feeling... You are going to put it in your in your five, yeah. Because you and I have talked about this movie. Oh, I'm yeah, I talk about this movie all the time. It's it's one of the very few accurate examples of a personality disorder being depicted in in with Matt Damon's character. Jude Law is beautiful as ever. Gwyneth Paltrow is beautiful as ever, and a great actress in this movie. Matt Damon is just amazing. The storyline, the the setting, the tone. Uh, of course, the great late Philip Seymour Hoffman is fantastic. It, it, it's cool. You want to live in that world. You want to dress in Jude Law's, you know, khaki pants with those <laughs> sweaters. You, you just. You just and that his hair just looks so uh, New England rich. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The whole thing is just so great, and uh, yeah, I just I I can watch that movie. You know, I, all these movies, maybe American movie. I'm not quite so sure, but Galaxy Quest, Fight Club. Well, maybe not so fight. So that's right. But Town and Mr. Ripley, I could watch over whenever it's on HBO or something. I'll just I'll just start watching. I, I just I just love that movie. Amazing. Some honorable mentions. I will say The Matrix is definitely an honorable mention. The first time I saw it, I didn't actually like it that much. I thought it was fine. But I wasn't accustomed to Kung Fu style, really. Mm. I was still kind of like... Like, well, the first time I saw Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, it was a similar thing. I remember, like, the wire stunting. I was like, what are you doing? Um so I, it took me a, the second watching of The Matrix to really realize the genius of it for sure. Uh, Magnolia, which I think someone mentioned, was almost in my top five. Paul Thomas Anderson. You know, people always think Boogie Nights when you think the best Paul Thomas Anderson movie or uh, There Will Be Blood. But Magnolia, it, it, I, f- I feel like for Quentin Tarantino... You, he had Quentin Tarantino had Pulp Fiction, and it was just this huge phenomenon, right? And it was like, oh, there's this new yeah. Quentin Tarantino movie coming out. It's called mm-hmm. Jackie Brown, and everyone floods the theater, hoping to have uh, the same mind blowing experience as they did with Pulp Fiction. But it's it's a little quieter that movie, right. uh, Jackie Brown, and uh, then with Paul Thomas Anderson, you had Boogie Nights. And that was, you know, just this huge phenomenon as well. And people are like, okay, the next Paul Thomas Anderson, it's called Magnolia, and Tom (laughs) Cruise is in it. You know, let's go see it. And it's quieter. It's not as flashy. It's not as sensational. You know, it's it's not as multifaceted, I suppose, as 
Boogie Nights. But Magnolia is still a solid, solid movie. And for me, I'd watch Magnolia ten times before I watched Boogie Nights again. Boogie Nights is... It's kind of silly, you know. It it has some wonderful moments for sure. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, of... I, I can't follow you that far because Boogie Nights happens to be one of my favorite movies, and the soundtrack is just so good. And and it is funny. It is funny. But I will grant you, Magnolia is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. And then one movie that has not come up yet is the Blair Witch Project. Well, Which, okay. I, I thought about mentioning it because it was a, a genre-breaking, you know, kind of event. Like, you had to be there. You had to have watched it. You had to say that you were there when you saw The Blair Witch Project. But it's not that good. But, okay. So, but we're talking about our viewing experience. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, um and and I and people they will sometimes make fun of me for this, but <laughs> I thought it was real, and everyone thought it was real because it was that's marketed that way because yeah. it was it wasn't marketed; it was reported. So well. <laughs> report, yes, reporters were talking about the movie as if it was a found footage sure. documentary. Because it, it was, was marketed that way, <laughs> right? But but yeah. but it wasn't it wasn't like an, a trailer. There were articles. Right, right, right. Yeah. There, there were, were news articles. reports. That, absolutely. Yeah. And so yeah. I saw it opening night. Yeah. And, of course, how would I have known that it wasn't real? There was everyone in the theater thought it was real. When we were walking out of the theater, there was a huge debate because it was a packed theater. <laughs> and I think That's I saw true. it at the Egyptian. And everyone was going, did you think it was real? And, you know, it, total strangers just... Yeah. debating and the 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 most people were like yeah that was real and i was and i was like i'm pretty sure that wasn't real because of the way the camera fell at the very end it was too perfect that it yeah. fell right on the guy in the corner like that wouldn't happen and plus cameras break when you when you drop them yeah <laughs> and in that and the ending was so quintessential horror movie you know right right and, but the, but the first you know, 75% of the movie could absolutely have happened. You know what I that mean? That actually, that's a great point. If they had chosen the harder path, the the unglamorous ending, they would have had a stronger finale in a way. Yeah, so for me in terms of experience, now, I wouldn't, I've never rewatched it. There's no reason to rewatch I it. I, I, would, <laughs> I would never recommend this movie. Um, but in terms of 1999, the internet was, you know, a fledgling thing. The reports were this was a documentary. It was a huge event, opening night, packed house. I think I saw it late at night on a Friday. And it be creepy. And yeah, halfway through the movie, I was so scared out of my mind. <laughs> I my bo- I was freaking out that I had to stare at my feet and not watch the screen for a good five <laughs> minutes. Because Yikes. I thought I was going to have a panic attack watching oh. what I thought to be a real thing, you know? And and so, and people are like, how could you have possibly thought it was... The, I'm here to tell you, <laughs> it it was lie. People lied to us and said it was a documentary. A, mm-hmm. And at the time, this sort of thing wasn't done before. So the trust in the system was still there, right? So... Uh, as a movie going, imagine if you thought a horror movie was real, <laughs> right? You know, it, it, that's a you know that's a affecting experience. I'll never forget it. Well, it's like the the War of the Worlds, Orson Welles. Yeah, 
You know, people were freaking yes. for real. Right. Right. Because from, and, and I think the myth of, of that whole story is, oh, stupid people can't tell the difference. But I'm, I'm pretty sure if from historians have pointed out that they didn't actually tell people it was fake. They told them at the very beginning but if you tuned in midway through, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have known because you couldn't go back and listen to the beginning of the broadcast. And so it was rational that people thought it was a real broadcast because it was it, they were trying to make it like a real broadcast. It was essentially a fake news broadcast that people believed because they thought it was real. You know, um, but yeah, Blair Witch Project, definitely honorable mention for me. Um, but yeah, j- I'm just going to rattle off. All the movies that I have uh, rated on IMDb. Oh, but first, let me ask the two of you. Name any movie, as many as you can, top 10 highest grossing movies of 1999. Some have been mentioned and some have not. Highest grossing movies of 1999. Yeah. The Matrix. The Matrix. Matrix is number four. Oh, it's not. Okay, it's number four. Um Fight Club. All right. Fight Club's mm. not on there. Nope, 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 nope. That's surprising, uh, though. You think it would be. The World Is Not Enough. The World Is Not the Enough is number is eight. Not yeah. Oh, uh, of course, uh, Star Wars. Star Wars Episode oh, One. Phantom. Yeah. Yeah. That's by, number one, right? By far number one. Almost a billion yeah. dollars. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. The Tarzan, maybe. Tarzan, number five. Oh, there you go. Very good. You guys oh, Toy really Story good. 2. Toy Story 2, number three. Yeah. The Iron Giant. I'm kidding. I'm joking. Yeah, no. But a great movie. Yeah. What else? Underrated. What else? What else? What else? Uh, was it another... was one of your top five, Berto. Oh. And uh, one of your top, si- two of your top five. Oh, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense, number two. Yeah. The Mummy? The Mummy, number six. That was a really popular movie. Yeah. South Park? Did South That's Park so make the... No. Uh, one more from... Colin mentioned this movie at the very least. Deep Blue Sea. Uh, no, American, American Beauty. American Beauty. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, why did I do And then Austin Powers, the first Austin Powers. Wait. What? No, it can't that be. That was 99? Yeah. Holy thought, macaroons. Oh, my God. Didn't <laughs> Spy Who Shagged Me come out in 99? Oh, is that the second one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Second one. But So that makes sense that that would... Would have made a ton of money. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, so... Baby. Yeah. Baby. So I'm going to go... I'm going to give you movies by rating. So here's my number 10. 10 out of 10. So I got Matrix, Talon, Miss Ripley, Fight Club, Hall and Drive, Magnolia, Galaxy Quest. My nines are Office Space, Mystery Men, which hasn't been mentioned yet. I, I love that. that movie. What's that? Have you seen that, Colin? No. It's so good. It it's Ben Stiller, and um, oh, what's her name? Anyway, great movie. It's it, before the whole heroes superheroes renaissance happened more recently. This movie like was in that vein. It's really good. I like. It. I think it's pretty Weird. funny. Toy Story two. It, sorry, is it a comedy or? Yeah, it's a comedy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Toy Story two, Iron Giant, The Insider. Oh yeah, that's a great movie. Uh, which is. Spike Lee, if I'm not mistaken. Or no, no, Michael Mann. Anyway. Um, but did a, Spike Lee uh, write The Insider? Anyway. Um, that's Al Pacino in it, right? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Ghost Dog, 
with yeah, that's good with uh, Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker. I remember loving that movie. I can't believe that was all 1999. Yeah. What the heck? So here's my num- here's my eight out of tens. Go. No one's mentioned this movie. Yeah, I love Go. <laughs> oh my god, this movie is so that good. Really I love that movie. Yeah, that was really good. Oh, and and the Limey came out that year too. The Limey, of of course. Uh, Three Kings. Oh my gosh, that was good too. <laughs> yeah, being John Malkovich, we mentioned that. Uh, Dogma, Kevin Smith, Dogma. What? Okay. Uh, Life, a movie called Life, which I can't remember. I Man on the Moon, which was the oh, I love that too. Movie about um, Ladka or Andy yeah. Kaufman. Election, you oh, know, one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, Austin Powers, Spider Shag. Credo Will Rock, Tim Robbins. Uh, it's a pretty good movie. Oh, wait. Is that the one with... Um, uh, uh, da, 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 da. Shoot. Isn't that, isn't that... Yeah, I did see that. It's kind of a, a creepy movie. Uh, Rebecca De Mornay's in it, right? Uh, I don't remember. She's like a nanny or something? Uh, the Minus Man, which I can't That's remember. That's the hand that rocks the cradle. Yeah. Oh, okay, so it's a different... I think Cradle <laughs> Rock is... Anyway, The Minus Man, which I can't remember. Summer of Sam, Spike Lee. That's Spike Lee's Oh, yeah, that's good. Sixth Sense, Blair Witch Project. Um, here's my seven out of tens. Existence, David Cronenberg. Yeah, I love Existence. Uh, Analyze This, which is the sequel to Analyze That. Harold Ra- Ramis directs that, that movie. Uh, Robert De Niro and Billy Crystal. Mickey Blue Eyes... Which I remember liking, but I can't remember. Uh, Bowfinger, which I Bowfinger? don't remember, but I guess I liked. One? I did see that. I think Bowfinger is um, uh, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy yeah. 200 Cigarettes, Entropy, South Park, Virgin Suicides, Sofia Coppola. Yeah. Great Ooh, movie. Ooh, yes. Uh, Happy Texas, which I don't remember. Bringing Out the Dead, Martin Scorsese, The Limey, Steven Soderbergh. The Straight Story, another David Lynch. David Lynch had two movies in 1999. He had he had and Drive and The Straight Story, which is The Straight Story is a very non-David Lynch sort of movie, but it's a good one. Of course, Boys Don't Cry, which is a classic. Oh, yeah. Uh, another classic, but I'm a cheerleader with mm, uh, that, one. that one gal. That one gal. <laughs> I can't remember her name. Uh, red hair. I can't remember her name. Um the Big Split, which I don't remember. Um, let's see some other. Of course, Eyes Wide Shut. The Green Mile. My dad. Yeah. That was his. That was his favorite. Uh, Star Wars Episode One. Eight Eight Millimeter. Uh, nah, did not like that. Uh, Mumford. It was like trying to be a seven movie. Yeah. It was not good. Yeah. Uh, Mumford, which some people mentioned on the Facebook fan page. Boondock Saints, which is a classic. Okay, a can, class? can you please not tell anyone? That I've never seen that movie. So it is. It I like it, but I find it has a weird internet dude love that I don't really understand. I've been yelled at for not having seen it. It's fine. It's a fine movie. Okay. Um, Any given Sunday, Oliver Stone. Oh, that's fun. I like that movie. Joan of Arc was mentioned on the Facebook fan page with uh, Mila Jovovich, I believe. Oh yeah. Uh, flawless, that. sweet and low down. Woody, uh, Woody <gasps> Allen. Maybe. I love that movie about yeah. Ra- Django. Uh, Django. Yeah, Sean Reinhardt. Sean Penn, right? Yeah. Uh, Sleepy Hollow, Twin Falls, Idaho, 
The Muse, The Muse with Albert Brooks and uh, Sharon Stone. I don't think I saw that. Uh, Pirates of Silicon Valley, which yeah, is a fun. That's a good movie. Historical. I mean, it's drama. good as in, as in, if you want to learn about the shenanigans that happened during that time. Yeah, it's, it's very informative. With um, Michael Anthony no Hall, Hall plays uh, plays Bill Gates, I believe. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the Thirteenth Warrior, which I remember really liking. That was fun with um, Antonio what? Banderas. Yeah. Uh, Pushing Tin with uh, <gasps> John Cusack. Okay, and, that's a movie I Bob never Thornton. watched. Uh, I never okay. watched that movie. I give it a but, five but, out of ten. Okay, so here's the deal. I, I never watched the movie, and I never knew what the, what Pushing Tin was meant. You yeah. Know? But for some reason, me and Mitch would start, anytime we were, we were running late for something, we'd say, like, dude, dude, we got to go. We're really Pushing Tin here. <laughs> and we didn't really even know why we were saying that. So I believe the movie, if I remember right, is about air traffic controllers, and they say pushing tin, and that they're pushing airplanes. Essentially. That makes sense. The cider <laughs> house. Julie has some good scenes. Yeah, Angelina Jolie. Uh, cider house rules, which was a huge movie, oh, which that's a, yeah, which that's I a big movie. which I mildly yeah. liked. Notting Hill. Sorry, I gave it five out of ten. Colin. Oh, that's fine. Uh, the My last was bad. The astronaut's wife with Johnny Depp, I believe, and. Oh. Charlie um, Theron and Charlie Theron. I think I saw that. It's a good one. Uh, American Beauty, Girl Interrupted, James Mangold, uh, Deep Blue Sea. I gave four out of ten. I actually forgot I even really? seen that. I don't Wait, remember I that. Wait, am I thinking of the movie. wrong movie? Isn't that the the diver one? Yeah. What is Deep Blue Sea about, Colin? It's about three smart sharks. Okay, they're real smart and they're they're eating people. People are trapped in this undersea facility. And they got to reach the surface, but oh. they got to figure out the right way to do it because pe- things are getting flooded oh. and yeah. Uh, no, I don't, I don't okay. remember. I, I'm sorry. I was giving kudos to the wrong movie. The LL Cool J blows up right? a bird or blows up a shark and has a bird. Oh, LL Cool J is in it? LL Cool J, yeah. At one point he l- flicks a lighter on, he looks at a shark that's in his kitchen and he says, you ate my bird. Because he had turned the kitchen on, and then he throws the lighter into the gas, and the shark explodes. So uh-huh. yes, LL Cool J. He's a heroic chef. Well, I saw it back then, and I gave it a four. It, it, no, what's what's the movie about the divers? <laughs> like, it's a really good movie about these these free divers. Yeah, it's called like the Deep Blue or yeah. the Deep Something Sphere. <sighs> no, no. See, I thought you were talking about this one movie, and it's it's really awesome. It's based on a real story about free divers. And here you're talking about the freaking shark. <laughs> uh, Snow Falling on Cedars, which I gave 3 out of 10. It's actually uh, about the Japanese internment camps based on a book, I believe. Mm. And once again, you want to make a movie about Japanese Americans being locked up during World War II. And you center it around a white guy. I think Ethan Hawke is the person. Savior complex. It's just like, can uh, Yeah. Okay. By the way. It's The Big Blue. And if you've not seen it, highly recommend it. Real story about like these We should do We should do an episode on all the movies about the ocean that have the word blue in it. Blue <laughs> I'm Lagoon. sure the one you're referring to is much better than Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> it is. It's a really great movie. It's a, uh, it's the 13th Floor, which I gave 3 out of 10. Do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah. There's like something weird happening on the 13th floor. It's yeah. kind of matrixy. Kind yeah, of. kind of matrixy. Yeah. Varsity Blues with Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Oh, that is God. a fun movie. 
That's a fun movie. Three. Dude, that's a one. That's a no, one. I gave three no, out of ten. No, it's fun. Uh, and then I gave one out of ten, End of Days, which I believe is an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Ooh. That How I, could you? I, that I, oh, that yeah, I yeah, yeah. I, I think How I, dare I you? That. This was a weird time for Arnold, because they had just put, started putting him in, like, Kindergarten Cop... And like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna like poke fun at the fact that he's so unrelatable. And then I don't know, it just got a little amorphous at that point. A little unrelatable. Uh, some <laughs> other movies that, that I haven't seen: Stuart Little, Bicentennial Man, uh, Superstar, the SNL spinoff. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I think October Sky, which I never saw. Cruel Intentions. That's good. Was that year? I never saw that either. You never saw Cruel Intentions? Mm. No. You missed out. Didn't really. Yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar teaches uh, Selma Blair how to kiss. Is is that with um, Matt Dillon? No, Ryan Phillippe. Oh, Ryan Ryan Phillippe? Oh, okay. And Reese Witherspoon. There's another movie with Matt Dillon and two girls kissing. That's that's Wild Things. Of course, me and my bad taste. I've seen that. (laughs) Yeah. Not the same. Cool but anyway, just, much better. just to review, let's just rattle off our top five again, <laughs> just to go back to the top of the list. We've got Talent and Mr. Ripley, Fight Club, Galaxy Quest, Mulholland Drive, American Movie, Honorable Mentions, Matrix, Magnolia, Blair Witch Project. Birdo, what are your, what are your top movies, 1999? There were uh, five. It was South Park, Bigger, Longer, Uncut. Four was Six Sense. Three was Office Space. Two was Fight Club. One was Matrix. What about you, Colin? Five, Galaxy Quest. Four, The Matrix. Three, The World is Not Enough. Two, Stir of Echoes. One, Eyes Wide Shut. All right, Berto, final word for this episode. I want to go back to 1999. And in fact, that New Year's was awesome because I was in Whistler with my friend Mitch. We were in a hot tub and it was 3 a.m. in the morning, right after New Year's. So I guess technically it was 2000. And there was snow falling as we were in the hot tub. It was awesome. It was such a great year. Oh, I want to go back to that year. You were like four years old, weren't you, Colin? <laughs> well, I was eight. But, you know, for oh, me, I think wow. that's four. So you got that's it right. Four. <laughs> were you in a hot tub in Whistler as well? Um, one of my personalities was the other personality was wandering the halls of the mall and then spending way too much time at the arcade. (laughs) Slash laser tag. I, for the New Year's for 1999, was outside of Seattle because I was worried that Seattle was actually going to experience a terrorist attack. Because of the Y2K or just in general? Well, because... There was, if you remember, the the police or FBI caught a bomb coming across the border from Canada uh, to Seattle. So, you know, Seattle's not that far from Canada. And the border just above Seattle, they had caught a giant van bomb. And there was all this speculation is, okay, what were the terrorists going to do with this giant van bomb? They were coming down from Canada. What were they going to use it for? And I was, I was 50% you know, percent sure that they were going to use it on the, 
on the Space Needle. On the Space Needle, yeah. Because if you just, you could easily park a van close to the Space oh, Needle. I totally and... forgot about that, but you're right, because we were in Canada at the time, ironically. And yeah. I remember feeling sort of relief that we were not down in, yeah. in that area. That's and then true. it was you know, a year later with 9-11. And, uh, you know, so it wasn't like we didn't have a sense of fear of terrorist attacks before 9-11, right? At yeah. least I didn't. And nine, uh, oh, you know, Y two K was a thing, Berto, right? Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. It, it, it people laugh at us now, but that was a real fear, was it not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and the thing is, um, it was it was a scramble, mad scramble to actually try to fix systems fast enough because they were going to fail, and people were going to lose money, and it was going to be really bad. Right. So the fact that our society didn't fall apart is because a lot of tech people scrambled to fix everything. Yeah, exactly. So there's been a lot of theories as to why 1999 would have s- such a, a plethora of awesome movies when you compare to other years. Do you have any ideas as to what would be going on in our society or the film industry that would cause that to happen? Okay, a couple. One, everyone was like, okay, I, I think the world is going to end in the year 2000, so we got to scramble and make our best work now because that's it. This is it. That doesn't um, seem likely because <laughs> movies usually become greenlit 10 years before they yeah. get made. So. Well, hey, they would know 10 years ahead. Like They're like, well, yep, that's our last decade. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of getting... The thing that happened was that we... For, we caught the first super smart sharks, and then that made everybody in the film industry up their game because they were like, if sharks are getting this smart, we our movies need to get smarter. So. Yeah, that's the leading theory. But there are I, others. I do think, okay, so special effects were coming along really well, like computer special effects were taking off. So some things got cheaper to do, like The Matrix wouldn't have been possible, you know, just even a few years earlier. Um, and then I guess it was a class of, you know, there was a, a set of filmmakers that, you know, how in the 70s there was a set of filmmakers. Well, there was a set of filmmakers that were just coming into their best work at that point. So the theory that I heard, I listened to a whole podcast, I think it was 99% Invisible did a podcast on this. And this makes the most sense to me, besides the shark one, is <laughs> that at some point in the 80s or early 90s, this the megaplex for cinema was invented by this one man. I can't, you know, I think he was behind AMC, I believe. I'm not sure. But, you know, Berto, you remember in the 80s, the most theaters you would have would be like four or something. Maybe oh, yeah. maybe six, but in the early '90s, you start seeing yeah. these fifteen, twenty-five yeah. me- mega cineplexes, and well, and the the theaters that had four to six theaters, these they, they were actually rare. Most theaters were just one screen. Yeah, I grew up with one screen. Like in Columbia, we'd go. There's that screen, you know. <laughs> right, like in Seattle and Bellevue and Issaquah, most of the theaters were. We're just one screen. John Dan's. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a movie theater at Northgate. There's the UA Theater downtown Seattle. Cinerama. You know, it's just one screen that you yep. just that you just a theater. You think well, a theater. You just have one one hall, one you know auditorium. But then the cineplex, you know, came out in the in the 90s, and so 
you had this huge pressure and, and, and now you're making a lot more money making movies because people are going to the movies more often because there's more of a choice. And now you have this, this supply problem where you have 20 screens you got to fill, but you don't have enough uh, movies because maybe three of the theaters are going to show the big movies, you know, the Star right. Wars Phantom Menace, but you need to fill all the other uh, auditoriums with other movies. And so there's this money being shoved around mm. that are starting to uh, fund movies that might not have been made. Movies like Fight Club, movies like Talented Mr. Ripley, movies like Being John Malkovich, movies like American Movie, or uh, what's it, Office Space, Mystery Men, um, you know, these Ghost Dog, Go, Three Kings, you know, movies that are good, but probably not huge blockbuster kinds of movies that might not have been funded otherwise, but there's this mm. mad rush to like, we need more films for these cineplexes because now so many people are going and that seems to make, and then the pinnacle of the cineplex was just before 1999 when all these movies were starting to be funded. And I think it also kind of connects to the visual effects race that Titanic started, I think, two years before. I think, yep. it, was, I think it was a 97 thing yeah. where everybody then, every big filmmaker was like, well, Titanic did it. Like, let's try. And and I remember listening to, I mean, and I know, like, say what you will about The Phantom Menace and George Lucas and all that. But in, you know, I was I was very fascinated with the creation of that movie. I had, there, there was like a special segment um in the vhs that i had that was talking about the movie and um how it was conceived and so george was i remember in those extras talking about how well we're really doing things that aren't in existence you know he was talking he was always trying to push the envelope of whether or not it was a success you know that's what that's up to the listener to decide but he was certainly pushing the envelope of this character doesn't exist nevertheless, this character will exist. And that just, I feel like after 99 became more and more of a thing and it just kept expanding, expanding, expanding until now where we have whole movies like The Lion King where it's just CGI characters. Yeah. But they're meant to be like photorealistic. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 So will we ever see another year like 1999? Uh, you know, like this year, for example, or, you know, the Oscars, uh, the movies that were nominated, I, one, I haven't seen a lot of them because I haven't yeah. been able to. But I have a feeling that even if I did see them, I'd be like, yeah, you know, they're OK. I feel like I mean, just imagine having a a year right now where you just had 25 movies that are like some of the best movies you've ever seen happening yeah, in, in the same year. Like, I feel like. That just doesn't happen anymore, or it is happening, but I it's deep in my Netflix queue, and I I don't know that it is a great movie or not or yeah. something. Well, I you called know. it with the one who the one that won. I would say that in any other season, it would be like, wow, like that was a nice film, you know, Nomadland. Like, let's appreciate it. But certainly was would be very surprising, I think, in any other year to be like that's right. a that's best picture. Like, right. wow, yeah. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or at least it would have won, like when Moonlight won against La La Land, at the very least, you'd be like, well, Nomadland 
strangely beat out this other movie that we all thought right. was like there's no there's no la la land of of this year right not even mm. close i mean nothing yeah <sighs> deep well, blue c3 <laughs> <laughs> And it's I'm not, not joking. The, there was one this year. <laughs> and really? it is the fact that <laughs> yeah, that, wow. did peop, a lot of people delayed their movies being released because of the pandemic, right? Like, as soon as movie theaters open up completely, we're going to see a like come this December, we're going to see a lot of movies that were waiting to be released. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Well, we're still waiting on. I mean, how long has the new James Bond movie been sitting in the can? Right, I mean, right. the Black Widow. I feel like that's been. So long. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, that does it for that episode. Uh, tell us what you think. Comment below if you can. What are your top movies from 1999? And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it. And remember, the Space Needle is a secret spaceship. <laughs>